What pivots do you need to make in your business as it grows? All businesses will at some point make a pivot. It's a strategic move that you take to ensure that your business remains viable and profitable. In this episode of the Small but Mighty Agency podcast, meet Nancy. She is an entrepreneur of 25 years. She's owned and operated an agency and has gone through multiple pivots, including her most recent one, where she pivoted her niche. Tune in to hear how she made the strategic decision to narrow her niche and tap into her wisdom of wins and fails from leading teams for two decades. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead, and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency, podcast will uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Hey Nancy, it is wonderful to have you on the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. You have been an entrepreneur for a number of years and there's just so much wisdom to tap into. That's what we're here today to talk about some of the key learnings you've had over your years. And so I'm just going to throw the microphone over to you and have you introduce yourself to our wonderful listeners today. Sure. Thank you, Audrey. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, So yeah, I've been in business for 25 years, quarter of a century. It's hard to believe. I started as a writer. You know, I, I had worked in advertising and corporate communications for many years. And when I decided to start my own business, I kind of like many entrepreneurs, took on everything and anything. So I was doing writing, I was doing event management, I was doing change management, whatever my clients were asking for. And then as my client list grew, I realized I needed more support and brought on team members. And then over the past several years, I started realizing I really wanted to focus on working with researchers and related organizations, really primarily in healthcare and education. And so that's where I've landed at this point, and have really sort of focused on how I'm going to work with these researchers and organizations to get their messages out, especially in an era of fake news where, you know, it's really hard to get evidence and and facts out there. So my job is to find creative ways to do that. Nancy, you mentioned that you've been in business for 25 years, and along with that comes a ton of wisdom. Let's explore some of those learnings. What would you say is most important if someone started a business today? I think one of the most important things is really understanding what you're passionate about. You know, it's, it's I, the number of times that I've taken on a project and I've known in my gut that it wasn't the right thing to do, or I thought, you know, this is really not something I have expertise in, but I'm taking it, you know, for the money or I'm taking it so that my team has work or whatever. Um, those are the times that I always later on say, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, it's really, it can be hard to say no to stuff. 
But if you're really not passionate about it, I think it's really important to to think about whether you really, really need to do this. Do you need to do it for the money? Sometimes, yes. But, you know, the more and more you stick to your passion, the more you get projects and can offer the best of yourself to someone. In the first few years, when you're building your service business up, of course, there is a desire to say yes to all the work. But what happens is that as the business starts to grow, the habit of saying yes to all work, especially work that requires you to constantly change how you do things, can actually stunt your growth. When you do that, you don't develop true expertise and a position in the marketplace. So how did you know your passion and niche and become more focused in your business? You, you know, you make a, a great point there about, you know, really sort of recognizing when you have a passion. And and that's, I guess, where I kind of found my niche. And and one of the things that I did, I did really important activity a number of years ago, where I really documented all of the activities that I do related to my business, everything from opening the mail to creating strategies for clients. And, And then I took all of those activities and I put them in four categories. And one was incompetence, so I things I suck at, really competency, so things I can do, but you know, they're not I'm not great at them. Things that are excellent. So there, there were things I was doing for clients that I excel at, I make good money at. And and they're okay. I can do them. I'm not thrilled about them. And then there's this unique ability, the things that I am passionate about. And and that really helped me discover my niche because as I look through my list about stuff I'm passionate about um, and things that get me excited. So those are things that you know, during the day, the day whizzes by because I'm, I'm so excited to work on this, you know, or, or something that I can zip off and people go, wow, that's fabulous. And to me, it seemed easy, right? And I think it's when you hear or when you are working on things and it seems super simple to you and super complicated to everybody else, then you know you've got a niche. Um, I find this often when I do video work with clients. I interview a lot of clients for videos and they love that. Um, you know, they love my interviewing style. And for me, it's it's a hugely exciting thing to do. What's interesting about your journey is that finding your niche isn't something you did once. Over the years, you refined it further and further and you've pivoted and narrowed and that can feel scary. You can be in the first year of business or 10 years in the business. The same feeling can apply when deciding to go all in in either an industry or a service niche. Tell us more about how you made that decision. I spent a lot of time looking at the industry trends, what's going on. A good example would be during the pandemic, of course, in healthcare, virtual healthcare, huge, huge industry coming up. And in fact, I did a major research project um, to communicate some new virtual uh, healthcare appointment tools for seniors. Um, So it's really understanding and taking a look at those trends, seeing what's out there, what's new, and how you fit that niche service into that industry trend. Oh, I'm so thrilled you brought up the importance of looking at our external environment alongside our strengths and weaknesses. You've heard of the SWATs, which stands for Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities, and Threats. For those who aren't familiar with it, when we look at strengths and weaknesses, we're looking at internal capabilities. And when we look at opportunities and threats, we're doing an external scan. So after looking at your external environment, how did your own strengths and weaknesses come into play when deciding your niche? Yeah. And, and, you know, and it was really important for me to have, to come at it from a level of confidence. I was coming from it, from a marketing and communications background. So I already had this solid foundation and all these marketing communication skills and tools that I could bring to this. So that gave me a real competitive advantage. I really took what I 
already knew and applied it to this new level of thinking and this this new way of interacting with clients. Um, so I was already a bit of a step up ahead. And that has really given me both the confidence and the ability to develop some really good processes um, that, you know, my clients really appreciate because they're detailed, they're well laid out, and they're based in solid marketing communication foundations. Speaking of processes, having repeatable service delivery processes is how we grow a service-based business instant agency model. Tell me more about how you grew your agency. So I took my first step and hired, I started with a virtual assistant, and then I moved to an assistant, and then I moved to a team of five, um, which was amazing, uh, an amazing group of people. But I realized that at some point, it was either time to grow, because at Agency of Five, we were doing fine, but it's really hard to be a general agency these days. You know, um, there are social media agencies, there are video agencies, and, and so it was really hard to be that general agency. Did you know that I have a coaching program called the Mighty Pod Model? In the High Touch program, we help our clients go from solopreneur to an agency owner so they can gain more freedom by having a service business where client work isn't dependent on them to scale. Maybe you started as a solopreneur with zero people in your business. Eventually, you bring in an assistant and contractors, but you continue to hold on to the strategy and direct communication with your clients. Before you know it, you're at capacity. So what happens if you want to grow bigger? Meet the Mighty Pod model. The Mighty Pod model isn't just a business model. It's a high-touch coaching program that helps you go from solopreneur to agency owner with a profitable, streamlined, and strategic roadmap. If you're feeling like the bottleneck in your business, download our free Mighty Pod Model Cheat Sheet. Go to audreyjoyquan.com forward slash free resources. That's A-U-D-R-E-Y-J-O-Y-K-W-A-N.com forward slash free resources, or click the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app to get the free Mighty Pod Model cheat sheet. Back to the show. You touched on today's agency landscape. The traditional agency model does all things for all businesses. It doesn't have an industry niche, such as a a field like healthcare or tech or education and so on. And A type of niching that is less talked about is a service niche. Today's specialized agencies aren't just about the industry, but the service. A common one is, for example, an SEO agency. Today, we have service niche agencies that focus on developing case studies, writing email sequences, and more all with the purpose of being the best at a specialized scope of work. In addition, I think the more offers a business tries to tackle, the more overwhelming it becomes to grow that business. 25 years ago, agencies mainly were large businesses with a physical office and over 50 people. Today, we see agencies the size of like three to four people who bring a very specialized service to the marketplace. You didn't decide to have that big agency that offers all the services to everyone. Instead, you want a small, agile team. And not everyone has to be an employee of that business. So tell us the benefits of not having employees and instead having contractors or collaborators. We pass work back and forth. We refer each other back and forth. Um, And in some cases, it's a mentorship opportunity for me. I've mentored a number of younger writers and and marketers, and I often pass on work to them um, as as well as some advice uh, in terms of how they might take that client on. Um, you know, it's a great opportunity to share the expertise and experience that I've had over the years um, and also build a really great 
collaborative partnership with an up-and-coming professional. Speaking of mentorship and growing others, what have you found to be the hardest part about leadership? Hmm. I think it is making sure that you find that balance between, um, you know, providing your wisdom and then also listening. You know, the the young people that I have had the, the privilege of working with have some amazing skills that I don't have and they have knowledge I don't have. You know, I may have been in the business for a long time, but it's constantly changing. And so it's, I think it's just key and crucial to not, you know, sit back on your laurels and say, well, I've done this for 25 years. I must know what I'm doing, you know, and really say, oh, I may not know what I'm doing all the time, but this person fresh out of school or maybe with a few years experience has a lot to teach me too. Listening. I think that's a skill set we all can use more of. <laughs> Nancy, in your experience in building a team, what would you share with other business owners right now who are doing that at this very moment? They're putting together their team and maybe they're just a little bit overwhelmed with this idea of leading others or even managing others. Yeah, and I would say look for enthusiasm. The very first person I hired, everything that she ended up doing for me in the business, she didn't know how to do before I hired her. It was all learn on the job. But she had an incredible work ethic, incredible enthusiasm, and she really wanted to partner with me. She really wanted to support me. She believed in my company, still believes in my company. We still work together. You know, and and I think we spent a lot of time at the beginning understanding how we like to communicate with each other and how we like to work. I have, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this problem when we work with new team members, we have this thing called drive-by delegation. You know, it's the, oh, can you do this for me? See you later without any explanation. I'm totally guilty of that. Uh, And so I really spent a lot of time making sure this person had the courage and the opportunity to say to me, whoa, hang on, explain this to me so that we could, I could really help her work to her best. Um, so we spent a lot of time at the beginning understanding how we like to communicate with each other. Do we like to communicate, you know, by email? When is it important to talk in person? You know, how, when do you like to talk about projects? How often should we meet? And that really helped. You now I did this with all of my, um, of my team members. We would really spend some time talking about their personality and fit in the organization and how I could best support them. And also what they really wanted to learn. I really incorporated professional development. So everybody had, you know, whether it was an hour a week or whatever, of time, paid time for professional development. Great for me, great for them, right? Win-win. I'm so glad you brought up the concept of drive-by delegation because I too have been guilty of it. I can also hear people thinking, what is drive-by delegating? In a nutshell, it means instead of owning delegation, you're bailing on it. So you're passing things over and hoping the person that you've hired will read your mind and can deliver something perfect without really setting them up for success. Not drive-by delegating requires ongoing communication in clear direction, outcomes and deadlines. And I love that you identified communication as key. I can almost hear the busy business owners out there saying, I don't have the time to spend figuring all this out. Let's talk about what you did. How did you make that time to do that? 
Yeah. And that's a really good point. Cause that was my first thought too, is I don't have time to sit down with these people. They just have to figure it out. <laughs> and you know, it only took a couple of times of failure for me to go, Oh, that really doesn't work very well. And so I really had to book that time into my calendar busy as I was, that became a priority. And it was, uh, we, we always had a team meeting once a week with everybody. And that was to make sure we're all on board, whether you were involved in a project or not, you knew what everybody else was doing. Um, so you knew whether to bother them or not, or whether they might need some support from you. And then that age of individual time may have only been 15 minutes where we would sit down and say, okay, you know, what you need more information about what's working, what's not working. Um, we, we had little forms that we would use um, to really help understand what the priority is, what they weren't understanding. And I use documentation where I would actually say, you know, this is a priority project or come and see me about this. And then we had levels of delegation. So I would say, this is a project that I just want you to go and do and tell me when it's done. I don't need to approve it. Or this is a project that you need to do step by step and I need to see every step. So they really understood when they needed to come back to me or when they didn't. And of course, that changed as they became more skilled. They would, you know, the number of times I would say, can you just make this happen? And they would learn more about my expectations every time. And in fact, it was kind of a funny story. I went off on vacation once and uh, one client came back with a, a major request that normally would have come to me, but I was on vacation. So my team, you know, came up with this, what would Nancy do? <laughs> And they sat down and had a meeting together and they, they really said, well, what would Nancy say about this? What questions would she ask the client? And they did an amazing job. I came back. Client was totally happy. We had this brand new project. I knew nothing about it. My team handled it. They knew what my expectations were. And because we had communicated so much, they knew what would Nancy do. That's a terrific story about the benefits of investing time upfront to grow your team. The commitment is to rethink where you invest your time as your business grows. Sure, you can say you don't have time, but not making time to develop people keeps you stuck in your business. Your story highlights how people on your team can read your mind, which is what most business owners desire. <laughs> and it just doesn't happen without deliberate action. Thank you for sharing that. So what mistakes have you made along the way that could help others grow a team to scale their business? I think probably one of the bigger mistakes I was I made was hiring somebody that had skills, but not for the particular role that I uh, needed them to do. And, you know, I really wanted to give them a chance. They were a great individual. And I knew that eventually maybe I could move them into another role, but I really needed them for this one role. And it was a sales role. And they, in my head, I thought, oh, this person's so personable. They'll, they'll be great. It was absolutely not what they wanted to do, but they wanted to work with my company so badly that they took the job. And, you know, it didn't take very long for both of us to realize that, you know, it was a huge mistake. And as much as, you know, we appreciated and respected each other, it was not going to work. And I should have stuck to my usual, what I would call the right fit employee. I should have really stuck to my, my processes, which was to understand exactly what I needed this person to do. Um, and to be clear, um, you know, that person has now gone on to do a job that they love, you know, and we still keep in touch. But it was a really good lesson to me to understand that um, I need to, you know, I need to be really clear about not only what your expectations are, but what that person's expectations are for growth and for the work that they're doing. Because if they're not passionate about what they're doing, 
it's not going to work either, right? I'm not alone on that one. Business owners are optimistic and want to think that liking someone can be enough for a role, even if they don't have a skill set. And that learning curve is just too steep or the natural gifting isn't there. Now, see, thanks for the transparency. To wrap up here, what keeps you inspired and at your best? Mm, I'm going to say it's music, interestingly enough. So I started learning cello as an adult, uh, and I now play in a cello orchestra. So there's 24 of us. we uh, we perform twice a year, and it's a group of people, uh, professional cellists and amateurs from age eight to age seventy five. And what's really what's really inspiring is watching all of us collaborate together to make great music. You know, whether you're eight years old or seventy five, you know, we're all excited to be there to play together, to play in tune together, and to bring all that together. And so that mindset of collective talents coming together to create something great is what I see in work and in life. You know, if we can if we can bring those collaborative, talented mindsets together, imagine what we can create in our work, but imagine what we can create in our everyday lives as well. You know, whether it's volunteering, whether it's spending time with our families. And and so every time I play my cello and every time I play with my my fellow cellists. It, it just inspires me and gets my creative juices flowing for work as well. I love how you express the importance of play. Nancy, where can people find you? Ah, well, they can find me on my website at c3inc.ca. They can always email me from there as well. And if you're in the Ontario area, I'm located on the shores of Lake Ontario in Kingston, Ontario. Thank you so much, Nancy, for being here today. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure. Hey there. Thanks for hanging out with me at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you hit the follow or subscribe button in your podcast app and share it with a friend. I'll see you on the next one.